This is Fresh Ed, a weekly podcast that makes complex ideas and educational research easily understood. I'm your host, Will Brem. Humans have been the center of Western philosophy for centuries, at least since the European Enlightenment. With the rise of artificial intelligence, climate change, and changes to the very idea of subjectivity, are we moving into an era that is perhaps better labeled post-human? That means that, of course, that the old others against which we have defined ourselves are not going away, right? The the machine is with us. Uh, It takes on new forms. Um, The environment, the planet uh, is around. Even God is still around as an idea. But what would post-humanism mean for education? To develop a a self-understanding that is not based on an idea of humanity that is exclusive or exceptional. That is a great challenge, I think, for for education now. My guest today is Stefan Herbrechter, a research fellow at Coventry University and a Privatistant at Heidelberg University. Stefan has a new book chapter entitled Post-Humanist Education, which was published in the International Handbook of Philosophy of Education. Stefan Herbrechter, welcome to Fresh Ed. Well, thanks, Will. Thanks for having me on the show. So how would you define post-humanist thinking? Ooh, uh, right. So um, if you look at the word post-humanism, uh, I think it contains three elements. There's the human in the middle, there's a post in front of it, and there's an ism at the, at the end. Um, an ism usually tells you it's a, it's a discourse, like humanism is also a discourse, um, in the sense that Everything that is being said about the human or in order to make sense of the human is part of that discourse. Um, and post-humanism would therefore be a discourse about what it means no longer to be human in a, in a humanist sense. So I think that's sort of the, the, the minimal definition I would, I would give at the moment to start with. But of course, it has a lot of, um, uh, this has a lot of profound implications, of course. And, you know, defining is always a very... Um, a very violent gesture. So uh, it's it's an evolving thing. It's it's just basically I think means um, we're no longer happy with uh, traditional ways of defining what it means to be human. Um, that's maybe my my kind of uh, um, zero degree definition of, of of the term. So maybe to unpack this idea of post-humanist thinking. May, I mean, it seems like we might have to start with humanist thinking. So what is humanist thinking? Yes, um, it, it depends really when you want to start, uh, let, let humanism start. Um, I mean, there's, there's Renaissance humanism, right? So um, 14th, uh, 15th century developments where um, we move towards basically towards an anthropocentric world picture. The Renaissance um, is all about um, focusing or taking the focus away from, you know, from God to to man, if you want, and so it becomes a legitimate interest to, to produce knowledge about about who we are, what you know, uh, without looking towards religion. So it's at the beginning of modern science. It's um, it's the beginning of a certain certain species self-centeredness, if you want. So that's one one way to begin the, the history of humanism. So humanism is that um, historical development or this worldview that connects with um, the shift from 
the Middle Ages to to the Renaissance and the the, the long version of modernity, if you want. Then there's a let's say a more more closely defined humanism that is connected with developments in in science itself, a move away from you know from from the last remainders of of, of religion, um, and connected to let's say a, a, well a new form of legitimating knowledge about about who we are through only through modern science. So and that's connected to to a radical secularism. For example, Richard Dawkins would be would be a humanist in this sense. Right? And a biological evolutionary attempt to define us as exceptional in re, with regard to to other other species, for example. But that's a sort of later development. Um, I, I think today in the 20th century there's a, there's a kind of humanism that is very much focused on on human rights, and that's um, a reaction to um, to the inhuman experiences um, that took place in, you know, in the, in the two two world wars. Uh, so it's a direct reaction to that. So some kind of preserving the, the sanctity of, of human beings. So humanism is itself a very ambiguous and very, let's say, contradictory discourse, um, which works with the notion of what a human being is. That is based on, you know, exclusions. You know, a human being is a human being because it is not, at least not entirely, an animal. Um, it is not a machine and so on. So there's a couple of things, a couple of problems, a couple of conceptual problems with, with humanism that precisely provoke a post-humanist reaction to it. So is post-humanist thinking based on similar exclusions that humanist thinking is? So you said not animals, not man, and maybe not God. I mean, so how does, does post-humanist thinking um, operate in similar exclusions? The, the prefix post, I think, is, is, a, is a funny animal. We, we noticed that during the discussion about post, post-modernism and post-modernity. It's not just a straightforward attempt to, to, to move on or to, um, to oppose or to, to overcome, right? Uh, a post can't do that. I understand them the prefix post more like a, let's say, a, a signal that there is a, for want of a better word, <laughs> there is an ongoing deconstruction of um, of that which is being posted. It's maybe a kind of parasite <laughs> that, that inhabits humanism itself and tries to bring it to uh, address its own contradictions. Um, so post-humanism is not really defined against against anything else it it sort of incorporates humanisms and tries to tries to push them to to some kind of some kind of edge where 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 human would have to put their cards on the table and and and, and address their own exclusions address their own um their own contradictions um but that's how deconstruction is usually understood and the the idea is to Maybe not so much overcome humanism, but but actually break it up for something else being able to take place uh, in, in in the first place, right? Uh, in order to to get out of humanism, which is not an easy thing to do, um, as you can imagine, um, 500 years of uh, 500 year old worldview is not going to be superseded um, or or abolished um, in uh, within a few days. You, you have to sort of work with the cracks 
um, and the contradictions there are within this discourse and and trying to break that open for something else, something entirely different maybe to, to start happening. A new, completely new understanding of what it means to be human that is not based on the traditional, these are the traditional exclusions. Now, that means that, of course, that the old others against which we have defined ourselves are not going away, right? The, the machine is with us. <laughs> Uh, it takes on new forms. Um, the environment, the planet uh, is around. Even God is still around as an idea. So it's not as if these disappeared, right? But the relationship with, with these entities is, is radically changing, and that which calls for, let's say, a, a new self-understanding of of, uh, of humans, which is maybe based on more benign um definitions um different relationship with with these others that that have always been used in order to to reassure ourselves right these others have, are coming back to haunt us and we need to address this process basically so could we talk through one about one of these others so i mean maybe machine so you know in in humanist thinking you were saying that that humans are not machines but in post-humanist thinking we have to reevaluate re or deconstruct what that exclusion means um for what it means to be human so how are some people in post-humanist thinking sort of conceptualizing machine-human relationships interactions? Okay, well, that, that, in order to start answering that question, let me, let me go back to, to the Renaissance, right? Because our humanist understanding of machine is full of, is full of contradictions. If you read, um, if you read Descartes, um, just as an example, he's usually the, the, the bogeyman that is put up there. The idea of being truly human is defined against uh, the mechanical, right? Um, and the animal for Descartes is also actually um, not, cannot be human because it is, produces mechanical reactions to its environment, to its environments. Now, um, a truly human is free, right? It's free of this mechanicity, right? So that's why we need to be something radically different from the mechanical. But that doesn't make the mechanical disappear, it just displaces it and turns it into a kind of fear, right? Fear of becoming interchangeable with a machine, right? It's one of the greatest fears of humans, right? How, do you, how, how can you be sure you're human and not a machine? And that only, this fear can only be addressed, you know, if you sort of expel everything mechanic from, from you and, and, and produce it and project it onto something else. But that, of course, is only one part of the story, right? Um, if you look at if you look at our, the history of our relationship with machines, um, there's um, there's an increasing reliance on machines, right? There's a, you know capitalism would be impossible without mechanization, right? So on the one hand, we try to radically differentiate ourselves from machines. On the other on the on the other hand, we constantly being relying more and more on machines. Um, uh, aligning our lives more and more closely with machines um, and so this fear of the machine coming uh, being an other coming to haunt us uh, coming to sort of into the self self sameness of humanness is is a constant fear right and the history of philosophy and the history of culture is full of these fears and now technology has reached reached a stage of development where machines 
are actually becoming more lively, as Donna Haraway said it in her in her Cyborg Manifesto in 19, 1985, than ourselves. Machines are about to develop a life of their own, it seems, and that, of course, uh, is a is a big threat for for a humanistically defined humanness. And and that's maybe what's post-humanist, what characterizes characterizes a lot of post-humanist thinking. If we let it start for the moment with with Donna Haraway, uh, whom I mentioned, um, it's sort of deliberate attempt to cross this boundary, human machine. She she sort of used the cyborg as a starting point to think about new ways of um, um, imagining that relationship between humans and machines, right? Uh, but not in a sort of techno-utopian way, right, let's, let's all become cyborgs or so on, but in, just to problematize, right, that radical difference that, doesn't, that, that maybe doesn't exist between humans and machines, and what do we do if that, that radical difference actually is, 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 not, is not true, right? And that's where I think that's one, one of the ideas, one of the ways of understanding what, how post-humanism started, right, with Donna Haraway's Cyborg Manifesto. Have, has there been other thinking about the relationship between humans and machines other than Donna Haraway? I mean, I I hear her name quite often, but, you know, that was 1985, and I'm just wondering if things have changed over the last 30 years. Obviously, right. Things are moving very fast, not only in, in terms of technological development, but also in the, in the thinking about, about this process. Um, I just mentioned Haraway because it's such a um, highly symbolic and, and highly visible um, move that she, she, she made at the time. Of course, it was the time of uh, economics, Star Wars programs and so on, and the world is different now. What it sort of signifies, I think, that moment is um, an opening up of a whole new, um, new space for thinking, right? And of course, yes, what where Haraway is hoping that the cyborg will open up, um, let's say, a new a new idea of materialism, where where precisely mechanic and living, uh, organic and inorganic, um, will will actually get mixed, but produce new forms of materialist thinking about the world. There have been new idealisms developing about new technologies, where I would locate. Um, the whole transhumanist movement, um, all those people who, who sort of um, try to flip our fear of technology into into a kind of enthusiasm or a techno techno utopia, um, a bit like the futurists tried to do at the beginning of the 20th century, that we embrace this technological development because it can actually turn humans into in, into enhanced enhanced beings and 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 from an idealistic point of view. Can turn us into some kind of god, right? Uh, you always have the feeling when you you read transhumanists, um, uh, example Ray, Ray Kurzweil, uh, um, is, is, you, is usually referred to here, right? Um, that we can download our minds in, in, into computers and, and live forever, this kind of thing. They're usually connected to ideas of disembodiment, um, and they're usually also um, directed against precisely our biological material animal animal nature right that that these people seem to be uh, thinking to be able to to leave behind so that's not the kind of posthumanism that I 
um, would like to develop out of uh, uh, out of Donna Haraway's move, and and that's why I've been referring to it, and, and a few other people as well, of course, um, as critical posthumanism, and the acknowledgement that yes, there's definitely a, a shift in our thinking um, what it means to be human, but it doesn't necessarily mean that uh, our future lies in becoming a technological new species uh, that that hopes to overcome um, its its embodiment, right? Um, that I think I find that a, a rather frightening and, and, and also dangerous attitude to develop out of this uh, out of these changes. So, what does the critical posthumanist mean then to you? Well, it, in uh, in that in that book I tried to write, uh, well, I did write, but the original German uh, German text was published in two thousand nine. Um, the translation came out in two thousand thirteen. Um, Posthumanism and critical introduction. That's where I tried to sort of get a handle on on, on, on all these all these developments um, that have been happening um, specifically since Haraway. And I tried to differentiate between different different posthumanisms, if you want. So on the one hand, this the transhumanism that I try to sort of argue against, the, the, the techno-utopian um, strand of posthumanism, um, that is closely associated to what in, in, in popular culture is, is usually um, uh, represented as posthumanism, the, the idea that we turn into posthumans, especially in science fiction movies, um, that we become um, somehow... Um, Yes, I, I don't know, uh, other superhumans or something like that. Or the idea of uh, Arnold Schwarzenegger taking off his, his uh, human skin and revealing revealing a seal inside. Um, this is precisely the kind of cyborg that, that Haraway didn't want to happen, right? She wanted to, um, she had in mind, for example, feminist versions of of combinations of, of technology and, and, and humanity at a much much more mundane level um, for example getting out getting us out of out of a gendered world um, why would a cyborg have to be gendered I mean if you watch uh, if you watch Arnold Schwarzenegger you don't have any doubt that he's a hypermasculine um, being regardless of what his interior looks like um, and why is that so right so for, for Haraway the cyborg is actually a figure that could um, liberate us from from existing prejudices and stereotypes and so on so there is a sort of there is a critical potential in letting go of traditional notions of of what it means to be human technology is maybe just let's say the well the the inducement for this but it's not an end in itself um it's technological development that might have pushed us towards the need for a radical rethink of what it means to be human but that shouldn't um, maybe uh, drive us towards thinking that technology is, has a dynamic of itself or is, is the only option, right? So there's a post-humanism that uh, doesn't only look forwards towards some kind of techno-utopian uh, developments, but also it's a post, there's a post-humanism that throws us back to our beginnings, for example. Um, how did we become... How did we come to think of us as humans in the first place, right? So um, I'm working on a project at the moment that that uh, um, my collaborator Ivan Kalus um, and I have called before humanity. Right? Um, there's this whole story about um, us, the only surviving human species, 
having to replace, maybe even kill off other humans in order to become who we are, right? And also that has an ecological um, aspect because uh, maybe it was climate change in, in the first place that made us survive, not the Neanderthals, for example. And now we're at the stage again where, where, we, have, where we have a period of, of climate change uh, now ahead of us or already experiencing it. And uh, we're facing ourselves, our, we're say, facing extinction ourselves. So, so it's not a coincidence that at the moment we're, we are um, we're struggling to define us um, and including even this, this this process of definition itself whether that is actually a very helpful move because as I said at the beginning uh, defining is always against against others and at the moment is this the signs are very much for let's say uh, we're in this together right let's not define us violently against anything because we we need everybody we need we need the planet we need the environment we need machines we need animals um, in order to uh, find a way out of the mess that we have created. That's where I would locate a critical post-humanism, right? Technology, yes, but um, it's actually, um, it opens up wider questions, right, about where a possible future lies, right? And so what sort of questions does it open up, it being critical post-humanist thinking, open up for education? Right, education, yeah, the big, big shift now. Um, there's always been an educational aspect to, to post-humanism. It's, it's, it's sort of, it was sort of hidden. Um, people weren't thinking about the educational implications of the, these new ideas um, that openly but if you if you're struggling to let's say open up or to undo uh, a notion of subjectivity that humanism has has been relying on and uh, let's call that the liberal humanist self uh, a lot of people call it that the idea that uh, humans share some kind of human nature um, which allows them to make a more or less free definition to be sort of um, the, the idea of a uh, of a moral human being that should recognize the innate humanity of other human beings and therefore should, should take the right decision and show solidarity with other humans and so on and so on, right? If this sort of um, humanist notion of, of a subject is is in deep, deep problems, um, then what to, what to replace it with? And that's, of course, strictly speaking, that goes to the heart of education, doesn't it? Because we, we learn to be humans. Um, we, I don't think you can, you can argue that, um, you know, I mean, people have been looking for this human nature for a long time and, and haven't found it, except for if you, if you want to locate it in some kind of uh, DNA, but, but that, as you know, is, is shared to 99 point something percent with, with other species. Um, so the idea of finding a human nature is, is, is I think, is, is, a, is a dead end. So how to tr train humans, if you want, um, to develop a, a self-understanding that is not based on an idea of humanity that is exclusive or exceptional, that is a great challenge, I think, for, for education now. Because most curricula, um, I'm sure, are all about centering the human, right? The human is always at the center of these things, of course, and how could it not be, right? It seems like common sense, right? Um, humans, of course, it's humans who 
who are running the world and therefore they need to be brought by education into a position where they can uh, run this world um, in a way that on the one hand prolongs on the other hand legitimates their rule uh, but of course in a humane way now if you wanted to if you wanted to scratch at that consensus that's this is this is what education is about producing little humans um, then from a post-humanist view you'd have to start very early wouldn't you um, have to to rethink the whole process of hominization that education is supposed to um, to well to replicate to 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 perpetuate and so on um, that involves uh, really everything right so looking at new relationships between humans and their environment you'd, you'd have to start in in primary school maybe even before right uh, the whole socialization process, if you want, needs to needs to be needs to needs to change, right? Uh, if if we want to develop a uh, a, a new, a better, um, a more ecological development uh, relationship with, uh, with with our with with our planet, for example. So, given this sort of division between the techno utopian thinking and the technophobia thinking that you talked about earlier. In your opinion, what is the place of technology in a critical post-humanist pedagogy? Right, yes. Yeah. So th thanks for that question, because I, I want to avoid the, the impression that, that critical post-humanism is te technophobic. It's, it's, it's not. There are, of course, profound changes to, to educational practice because of technological developments. Um, the question is only um, what role does technology uh, or is, te is technology supposed to play um, and, and are we actually in a position to um, hang on to a basically utilitarian notion of technology in the sense that um, I use technology as a tool in order to um, maybe uh, change something in, 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 in education or, or find new ways of or better ways of, of getting through to youngsters or something like that. You often hear that, you know, the, the, the new generation is more techno savvy than, than the teachers. So we the teachers need to need to use the technology and in order to get through to them and this kind of thing. Uh, I think this is a thoroughly utilitarian notion of technology, which, of, which is, of course, problematic. And here is uh, I would like to refer to work that has been, been done by a French philosopher called Bernard Stiegler, who um, is not the only one, but, but maybe the most vocal um, advocate of what he calls originary technicity. Actually, uh, there isn't, at no point in the history of harmonization can you reach a point where, where you have on the one side the human, on the other side the technical, right? Uh, these two co-evolve co together and they continue co-evolving, right? And of course that leads to uh, to changes in, 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 in understanding our relationship between, between technology in the first place and especially at the time now when we do have smart technologies, uh, um, ever smarter technologies to that do a lot of the stuff um, like communicating amongst themselves. And one other way of understanding humanism, which I maybe haven't mentioned yet, is of course humanism is a is a very specific historical chapter in uh, in, in media history. That's an idea maybe that you find in the German philosophers uh, Peter Sloterdijk, who characterizes humanism as that time um, 
where you have national communities of people who write them, write letters to themselves, right? That's where the idea of literacy comes from, basically. Um, and of course, in a time when people don't write letters anymore, and not just in the sense that they don't stick paper into a, into an envelope and send send each other letters, and instead they do email and stuff. You you have you have completely new forms of communication um, that especially new social media um, enable, right? and that of course no, does not only um, add something to something existing; uh, it it completely changes um, changes um, human lives in the sense that new forms of of, of communities are possible possible, and also new forms of uh, cognitive developments like distributed. Uh, cognitive uh, environments where where not only humans do the thinking, right? A lot of the thinking is being done by machines for us, and and that's not all. Not only a spooky or or, or negative negative effect, of course, uh, it opens up incredible impossibilities. So, posthumanist education is also that an education that is no longer humanist in the old sense, maybe the the Humboldt sense you know, about uh, the personal development of a human being through through literacy, right? And the very term might not be more be appropriate anymore because it's not about letters. It's not about the literal. It's not about letteredness. It's uh, it's about maybe more what I tr- try to explain by using the word mediacy, right? Being closer uh, and cohabiting, not only using but also being used to a certain extent by media, right? And that, of course, is not just language. Our first medium maybe but all these other tech more technological media that are that now exist so that also is is posthumanism but not as i said in a in a wildly techno techno utopian sense but uh, we need to keep a critical handle uh, on this and and therefore we need to be um need to build bridges between the old and the new paradigm if you want that's what critical humanism i think is trying to do from a political and educational point of view well stefan herbrechter thank you so much for joining fresh ed i think you gave us a lot of food for thought and maybe one day the humanist discourse will be overtaken by a post-humanist discourse and maybe a critical post-humanist discourse Thanks, Will. Thanks for having me. Stefan Herbrechter works at Coventry University and Heidelberg University. His latest chapter can be found in the International Handbook of Philosophy of Education, which was published earlier this year. Please note that opinions expressed on Fresh Ed are solely those of the host or the guest interviewed. If you've liked what you've heard today, please rate us on iTunes. It really does help. Fresh Ed is made possible through listener donations. Please consider becoming a member of Fresh Ed by visiting freshedpodcast.com slash support. Fresh Ed's producers are Sherry Yang, Yuval Devere, Hong Zong, and Lushik Waba. An original music for Fresh Ed was created by Digital Primate. Thanks for listening. I'm Will Brem, and I'll be back next week.